A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Counseling on the Force Center podcast feed, the show that believes absolutely every part of Star Wars is great. From a certain point of view, I'm your host, my name is Joseph Scrimshaw, with me as always, not always, but a lot of the time, maybe always in my heart, but right now, actually physically here with me on the old podcast table, my special guest, a little sip of whiskey. Here is what my guest sounds like. 
<clears throat> strong, strong opinions about Star Wars afternoon whiskey has. I might need to do some counseling for my whiskey. Anyway, let's get on with the show. We have three fun grievances today. I think uh, a couple of them are ones that uh, fans think about a lot, and I think uh, at least one of them is a very interesting question that I've never heard phrased this exact way. So let's dig in. If you've listened before, you know how this works. I ask uh, Star Wars fans for grievances, things about Star Wars that have always bothered them, and then I try looking at them from a couple different points of view, thinking about how they work within the larger Star Wars galaxy, maybe how they work here in our real-life human galaxy, and try to make people feel better. The first person that I am going to attempt to make feel better is Just Joshin, Twitter handle at that guy from MD. Just Joshin says, I'm not sure if this has been a Star Wars counseling or not, but uh, people always go, how did Anakin not recognize C-3PO? But I have always wondered why Uncle Owen doesn't recognize him as the droid they had until Anakin picked him back up in Attack of the Clones. Well, Just Joshin, I'm going to be real honest with you. I can't remember if we've covered this. I know we have covered some of the various 3PO recognition issues. I believe we might have talked about this a little bit in one of the live versions of Star Wars Counseling, but this particular question was interesting to me because it is so Uncle Owen fixated. Uh, Why doesn't Uncle Owen recognize that he just bought his own droid back? Technically, he probably didn't buy 3PO in the first place, or maybe... Maybe Kleeglars did also purchase 3PO when he purchased Shmi, and then he married Shmi and told 3PO to get to work. Anyway, that's another counseling issue for another day. Right now we are talking about when Uncle Owen buys C-3PO in A New Hope. Why does he not go, hey, didn't I own this droid in Attack of the Clones? Because I'd like to think that is how Uncle Owen thinks about his life. Owen Lars thinks... Remember when Baru was just my girlfriend in Attack of the Clones? That's how I refer to that period of my life. Of course not. Uh, So why doesn't he recognize 3PO? I think part of it is just that Uncle Owen, at this point in his life, is just not that friendly of a fellow, and he is certainly not friendly with droids. To him, droids are just workers. They're not pals. They're not companions, I think one of the things that makes our heroes in Star Wars, for the most part, true heroes, is they bond with the droids. They see the value in the droids. In the Clone Wars animated series, there's great episodes where many different Jedi are a little like, Anakin, why uh, why are you so close to that R2 unit? I mean, yes, he's, he's awesome, but this is weird. So I think Owen maybe represents what a lot of the galaxy is like, where they don't actually have this super bond with their droids. So first off, I don't think this is a question in Owen's mind. As he goes to buy some droids from the Jawas, I don't think he's thinking, are they going to try to sell me one that I used to own? I just don't think that's like on his mind at all. Also, on just a practical level, we have seen for ourselves with our own human eyes that uh, protocol droids all look very, very similar. E-3PO and K-3PO and all the different uh, protocol droids, triple zero, they all look very similar. It's really just their plating that would make them stand out and their personalities if you were to talk to them. Again, I don't think Owen is having nice chats with his droids. So I think if anything popped to him, 
it would be the plating. And 3PO does have different plating. So I think it's one of those things that from the outside, us, the audience, knowing that 3PO is one of the main characters of Star Wars, of the Skywalker saga, it's odd that Owen doesn't recognize one of the main characters. And in some way, I feel like we're kind of bringing that to the situation. You kind of want to scream at the screen, Owen, do you not recognize 3PO? He's on shower curtains and bed sheets. People dress up for him as Halloween. His plating's just a different color. How could you not recognize C-3PO? But from Owen's perspective, he's probably gone through a lot of droids in life. This is drudgery. He's just getting through his day. And what do you know? Another protocol droid shows up that looks exactly the same as all of the different protocol droids he's probably owned. This one has different plating than that one that kind of just ran off for no particular reason following Anakin and Padme just out of the blue. Uh, okay, that set him back. Uh, I don't think there's a reason for Owen to question it at first. That said, I'm, all, I'm on Owen's side here that it's reasonable he doesn't recognize 3PO. But then you add R2-D2. Maybe something would have stirred of like, oh yeah, when that protocol droid ran off with Anakin and Padme, uh, wasn't there an astromech with them? Wasn't that astromech droid blue and white and kind of opinionated? And maybe, maybe something would have stirred in Owen's mind seeing the two of them together. But again, he sees a lot of astromech droids. But then Luke tells him that these droids think they belong to Obi-Wan Kenobi. When did Obi-Wan Kenobi really come into Owen's life? When did his knowledge of him come into his life? Well, uh, maybe when Anakin visited. Anakin might have mentioned the name. Certainly then, Obi-Wan comes and he delivers Luke to Owen and Beru. But then, you would think that in Owen's mind, Obi-Wan becomes very tied to Anakin. That certainly seems to be what is on his mind at the uh, dinner table there when Luke says these droids belong to Obi-Wan and Uncle Owen gets uh, very uh, cross about this and of course says, just he's a crazy old wizard, don't worry about it. Uh, He's been gone around as long as your father has. So given all that, Owen gets up on that fateful day and I think maybe it's fun to imagine he starts putting the pieces together. He starts thinking, his mind's got to be turning on that. I hope this Obi-Wan stuff doesn't end up being a problem. I hope those droids aren't connected to him or any of the problems out in the galaxy that I'm trying to keep Luke Skywalker away from. He doesn't need all that trouble. He should just stay here on the farm. He'll be safe. He'll be happy. His uh, grandmother, Shmi, would have wanted that for him. Now there's all this trouble brewing. And it's because of these droids talking about Obi-Wan, this blue and white astromech droid who's here with a a protocol droid that I haven't seen since it left with Luke's father. Wait, and just, just as something was beginning to dawn, something was beginning to stir in the mind of Owen Lars, that is when there is a knock on the door of the hut, and the stormtroopers come in, and probably flame troopers too, because Look at those bones. But what if, what if Owen was putting it together finally? At first, he just sees another protocol droid, different plating with that from that one long ago and thinks nothing of it. And then just as all of these memories are swirling together and just 
is Owen is getting really annoyed by what is happening in A New Hope. What is happening there in that moment of New Hope, that is, to me, in my head canon, that is the will of the Force. All of these elements that have connected before are swirling around to connect again, to drive the galaxy toward the future. And Owen, Owen Lars is powerless to stop all of these connections, to stop the will of the Force. It is Luke Skywalker's destiny to go out in the galaxy and become a Master Jedi, to become a hero. But man, man from Owen's perspective, fate, the Force, destiny, what a pain in the ass. He just wants a protocol droid who will shut up and talk bocce to some evaporators. But instead, fate comes for Uncle Owen. Maybe, maybe he would have lived if he had recognized 3PO. That might be my whiskey talking. Anyway, uh, that's sort of my counseling as I think it makes logical sense that Uncle Owen would not recognize just another protocol droid that he doesn't really talk to with different plating than the one he had years ago. Now, if that does not help you feel better, here is another way that you could think about it. Here's my uh, secondary counseling. You can imagine that Owen does recognize 3PO and is surprised that 3PO doesn't seem to recognize him. And maybe Owen's like, oh boy, it's that droid. It's back. The chatty one. This is terrible. It is going to start talking to me. It is going to start asking me dangerous questions. Maybe Uncle Owen is hatching a plot to just blast 3PO to pieces and then suddenly realizes the chatty droid doesn't seem to know who I am. Well, I'm not going to tell him because if you can count on Uncle Owen for anything, it's not telling people stuff. I hope that helped. One grievance down, two to go. Our next grievance comes from Anne Henry with the Twitter handle at DTLA17. And Anne says, Why would Padme be forced to leave the Senate if the Queen discovered her pregnancy? Padme mentions this to Anakin. Was the concern that Naboo would be punished? But why? And by who? It was the Jedi Code, not a Senate rule. Now, this one we have not covered on Star Wars Counseling, particularly this particular moment, this particular idea. There's been a lot of discussion in the uh, general Star Wars fan community about the scene in Attack of the Clones where Padme says, you know, we can't do this while they're having their kind of romantic, kind of tormented conversation by the fireplace in the lake country in Naboo, uh, where she says, you're studying to be a Jedi. I'm a senator. This can't happen. But the scene that Anne is talking about is from Revenge of the Sith. Anakin has just had his dreams that Padme will die in childbirth. They are out on the balcony, enjoying a probably humid Coruscant night. I don't know what the temperature is on Coruscant officially. I just assume it's humid because the whole planet is a city. And Padme is trying to tell Anakin that the baby will change their lives, which is a fun detail that I haven't focused on a lot. The idea that Padme knows, look, I'm, I'm glad that you're happy about the child, Anakin. I'm happy about the child, but we can't just ignore this. This is going to change things. We can't keep hiding things, or maybe we can, but then we would have to quit everything we do, and we would have to 
literally hide. It doesn't seem like Padme has come to a decision, but she knows that the baby will change things and is a Anne Henry mentions. She specifically says that she doesn't think the queen will allow her to continue to do her duties as a senator once she discovers that she is married to Anakin and is, in fact, having a Jedi baby with him. So that by itself is just really interesting to get into the headspace of Padme, which, uh, you know, I think we're going to get more in this upcoming book. I'm really happy that as we're approaching this 20th anniversary of The Phantom Menace, there is a Padme renaissance, a Padme-sance, where we're talking about her more, thinking about her perspective more, which is great. Padme's dealing with a lot in Revenge of the Sith. She is very concerned about whether Palpatine will give up uh, his... Power. She's concerned about the war dragging on. She's concerned about what the war is doing to the fabric of the Republic, all of these concessions they're making in order to make sure that they can move fast and quick. And the war effort is starting to undermine democracy, undermine the Republic, and she is eager to do something about that. She's concerned about her husband, who seems uh, out of sorts, who tells her that he's upset that he's not in his... Uh, right mind, really, that he's not the Jedi he's supposed to be, that he's having terrible nightmares about her. And then for herself, she's facing, what What do I do with this child? This is going to change our lives. Obviously, having a child changes anybody's life, but she is thinking, I want this child. I'm going to have this child. I don't know what's going to happen, but I probably can't be a senator anymore. That is just really interesting to think of everything that she is dealing with and trying to stay on top of. So, to get back to Anne's question, why? Why would it be a problem? We know why it's a problem on the Jedi side, because Jedi have rules that say, don't secretly marry and impregnate people. That's against our rules. That's kind of too big of an attachment. But why is it a problem from the Naboo side, from the political side? Well, I've got several thoughts. So, uh, first of all, Padme has to deal with two levels of government, right? Because she is the senator from Naboo, so I'm sure Naboo has its own laws, rules, customs, precedents, all of that. And then she is a part of the Galactic uh, Senate as well, which I'm sure also has its own rules and laws and all of that. So she's kind of got two things to deal with in terms of just like the political machinery. She's kind of dealing with both state and federal planetary and galactic level politics. So it does seem like she's saying it's more of a problem from the perspective of Naboo, from the Queen, but it might be that the Queen has a problem with it because the Senate is also going to have a problem with it, and there are just problems coming from every direction. That still doesn't answer, though, the question of what is the problem. I'm going to say that maybe there could be some law on Naboo, and I'm very excited to learn even more about the uh, way that Naboo works in this upcoming uh, Padme Amidala novel, because that is going to be about, we've been told, the Queen wanting Padme to be a senator. So I think we're going to get some of the mechanics of this kind of thing in that book. And I have been noticing that Star Wars authors really do like to use the novels to try to iron out any wrinkles in the Star Wars storytelling and any perceived wrinkles in the movies. So something like this might even be addressed. There might be a code on Naboo that they request that uh, senators don't marry. Who knows? We'll find out about that. So there's still, uh, in terms of counseling, one of the answers is just 
Maybe this is an answer that is yet to come, and maybe it is coming very soon. That said, thinking about it from the Galactic Senate perspective, that maybe Naboo is just sort of responding to those problems and the Queen is responding, I think it would be a big scandal, not because Padme, a senator, chose to marry someone and is uh, with child. I think it's because he's a Jedi. I think this would be plastered all over the holovids. Everybody, I would imagine, knows that Jedi are not supposed to take one specific partner. I'm just making it sound like Jedi are supposed to be polyamorous. They're not supposed to have uh, any partners, right? They're not supposed to have that attachment. So I would imagine this would be big news, not because technically Padme is doing anything illegal as a senator, but more that she is willingly helping this Jedi violate the rules of the Jedi Order in a big, loud, scandalous way. You have to remember that in the Clone Wars era, these uh, two people are famous. They're you can be in a remote planet, and if you see some hollow vids about how the Clone Wars are going, you're going to hear about Hero of the Republic, Jedi Knight, Anakin Skywalker. You're going to hear about a contentious debate in the Senate where Padme Amidala is still pushing to say, well, maybe we can try negotiating with the Separatists instead of just all of this fighting. These two people are famous, and in theory, they're paragons of the Republic. So suddenly having them have a secret marriage that violates Jedi order, I think would be a big scandal. And maybe the queen would just say, this is a distraction. You can't be doing a a good job representing Naboo when you've got yourself mired in this weird Jedi sex scandal. Another potential political wrinkle is just how the Jedi order interacts with the politics of the Republic. So they kind of serve the Senate, but the Jedi also have their own rules and institutions. Obviously, we see this throughout the prequels. It's right at the beginning, the opening crawl of the Phantom Menace. The uh, Chancellor has dispatched two Jedi Knights to try to resolve that trade dispute around Naboo. Uh, And then, of course, in uh, Attack of the Clones, there is debate because Mace Windu is saying, we cannot fight a war for you. And the Jedi kind of have opinions about, well, there shouldn't be an army created for the Republic. And they're kind of listening to those politics, but they're not really weighing in on them. But then as soon as there is an army, Yoda just says, thanks, I'll take that to do something I think the Jedi should do, which is rescue this Jedi. Whoops, was that the first battle of the Clone Wars? I was trying to stay out of politics, but okay. So uh, they're both in the politics, and then they're not. And of course, by the time we get to Revenge of the Sith, that's one of the main issues. That's one of the pressure points on Anakin's very soul, right? The Jedi don't like what's going on in the government. They don't trust Palpatine. He has taken, uh, he has bent or broken too many rules that support the democracy, and he is trying to get uh, into the into the Jedi Order himself. And they're using, they're both using Anakin as their, uh, attempting to use Anakin as their spy. So, It's a delicate political situation with the Jedi, right? So you take into account the peaceful monk army 
of the Jedi that kind of works with the Republic, protects and defends the Republic, sure, but now they are actually fighting a war for the Republic, and suddenly you have a tie between a senator and a Jedi. Not just any senator and a Jedi. You have one of the heroes of the war. You have Jedi Knight Anakin Skywalker, who will happily take up any fight. He will go to any planet, and he will try to crush the Separatists. Any threat to the Republic, he will go in lightsaber swinging, leading the army of Republic into battle. On the other hand, you have a senator who keeps trying to stop hostilities whenever possible, who was in fact leading the charge to stop a military from being created in the first place. And then the military did get created, and she keeps pushing to have more negotiations, not negotiations with a lightsaber, not that she doesn't pick up a blaster when she has to, but she keeps pushing for, like, isn't there another way to resolve these things than uh, all of this violence? And by the time we get to Revenge of the Sith, particularly the deleted scenes, in the deleted scenes of Revenge of the Sith, which, again, their uh, canonicity is, you know, up for grabs, but in terms of, uh, of thinking of who Padme is in the public's imagination, in the Star Wars uh, public's imagination, but... Uh, to, to tell Palpatine, we're concerned about the amount of changes that you've made to the Republic, and we would like you to start negotiations with the Separatists as soon as possible. We would like you to stop fighting. Suddenly, from the Senate's perspective, that's not just any old marriage. That is a marriage in which Padme might be in conflict with her husband, or maybe maybe Padme is pushing to stop the fighting because she doesn't want her Jedi husband to constantly be on the front line. Suddenly, there's the possibility of political bias, political corruption, and even if that isn't true, there is the specter of it, which means your political foes can use it against you. Is Senator Padme Amidala of Naboo truly trying to end the war because she believes in peace? Or... Is she just trying to save her husband from dying at the hands of the brutal separatists? Maybe the current Queen of Naboo doesn't want that plastered all over the holovids. And then, on top of it, she is a senator who has made a good name for herself by being pure and strong. Even back when she was a queen, she was the one who called for the vote of no confidence in Chancellor Valorum. She has had her fingerprints on the history of the Republic. She has been known to stand up strong and firm for her beliefs, and oh, she's been lying to the public she's married. That is also a big potential political scandal, that not only is she secretly married to a Jedi, but she is pregnant with the Jedi's child which might inform her decision-making in the Senate even more. So I guess my big-picture counseling is maybe there is some more specific uh, laws on Naboo, maybe some specific Galactic Senate laws, uh, where this is a problem for Padme herself as much as it's a problem for Anakin with the Jedi, and that it's specifically a problem because all of the political fallout, because it's a scandal, because she just straight-up lied to people, at least the lie of omission, 
and because it puts her in an awkward position where it is unclear if her motivations for pushing for peace and prosperity are truly her own or are they some sort of selfish result of a connection that she has with a Jedi. Now, all of that said, the concern, at least in the movies, in Revenge of the Sith, seems to be, well, when people find out that I'm pregnant with Anakin, the Jedi Knight's child, that's going to be a problem for me. It's never really discussed or addressed in the movie. Is it a problem that she's just pregnant? And I kind of hope that it isn't. I hope that that continues to be the story, that the only issue is all of this uh, convolution with the rules of the Jedi Order and the fact that she maybe hid this relationship. But I like to think that in Star Wars, we have this cool civilization where a woman can just be pregnant and it's like, yeah, who's the father is not the first question on everybody's lips. The answer is none of your business and that that would not be a problem unless the husband was somebody who complicated matters massively like Anakin Skywalker Jedi Knight. Now, my final bit of counseling is imagining, imagining that the events of Revenge of the Sith maybe played out a little bit differently. Maybe it was an issue that Padme was pregnant, having nothing to do with Anakin. If that was the case, here's what I think should have happened. I think Anakin should have been very careful to tell Padme about his own conception, that he did not have a father. So if anybody pushed Padme on who is the father of this baby, she could just say, I think midi-chlorians? I don't know. None of your business beyond that. But yeah, midi-chlorians make sense. Midi-chlorians are kind of the grandparent of this child. So deal with it. Anyway. Fascinating, fascinating question, uh, and so many different angles to think about it. I'm excited to hear uh, other people's thoughts, and I'm excited to hear more in the Padme book as these fun and important parts of Star Wars story get fleshed out. What all was going on with the political realities, with the uh, challenges faced by Padme Amidala, Senator, Queen, Warrior, mother of Luke Skywalker and Leia Organa, we want to know what is going on with her, what challenges did she face, how did she overcome them, and it will only add to the tragedy that is Revenge of the Sith. Two grievances down, one to go. Our final grievance comes from Mark Gambles, who sent it in on Facebook. Mark says, Hey, Force Center, I need a little Star Wars counseling. Admiral Piet is rubbish. Hear me out. In Return of the Jedi, when the Tidarium sends their clearance code, he says to Vader, It's an older code, sir, but it checks out. I was about to clear them. He's at a top, top, top secret facility, guarding the Emperor himself, but he was going to let a shuttle go with older codes without flagging it because he couldn't be arsed. At least Ozl was unintentionally incompetent. Please help. Mark, there is so much to love in this grievance that you have sent. First, I think between rubbish and arst, I imagine that you are not American. It was great fun for me to say in my clearly American voice, arst, arst. That's exactly how it's pronounced, right? Anyway, thanks for sending this in. This is very, very uh, interesting uh, because not only is it about Piet, it's, it's a little bit about Ozl, but let's focus on Piet. 
Now, my first bit of counseling is, you might just be right, Mark. It might just be that Admiral Piet is just as crappy as many of the high-ranking imperial officials we have met. Now, I wonder, is there a desire because he is one of the Imperials who seem to stay alive a little bit longer to believe that he was doing a good job? And it seems like when he made this uh, this decision to let the Tidarium through, or that he was about to let them through, that he was making an idiot decision and we want to believe he was a good character. Well, I would say even smart people, competent people, can make blunders. So my first bit of counseling is, yeah, maybe he was having a bad day. He lets lots of shuttles through. He sees endless amounts of clearance codes. He is probably always sending people different forms, TPS reports saying you need to update your clearance codes. Please update your clearance codes. And then like seven times a day, some idiot has not read their TPS report and they are coming at him with those older clearance codes and oh they're a very important person so I can't really push them too hard so like all right I go so maybe maybe it's not a mistake maybe it is a mistake born out of having to deal with this absolutely constantly it could be that he is still a smart wily character who just out of frustration out of exhaustion made a bad choice that day that's one bit of counseling. Here, I'm going to share my bias. Here is the counseling that I like a little bit more and I think is uh, best for my headcanon. I think Admiral Piet is the perfect Jedi Master of Middle Management. I think Admiral Piet has realized what I need to do is just keep everything running. The worst, worst thing that I can ever do is be proactive and make a large decision myself. Because as soon as I am proactive, as soon as I pop my head above the other flowers, it will get cut off, or rather choked off. Choked off isn't exactly a force power, but it could be. Someday we might see a scene where Vader chokes somebody so hard their head pops off like a little dandelion. Anyway, I like the idea that Piet is always trying to make it sound like he is being decisive, but particularly when Vader is concerned, when he knows Vader is around, sound like he was going to make a firm decision, but always leave the door open for Vader to make the decision himself, because he imagines that Vader will choke him. Vader's probably not going to choke himself if he screws up. So I think this might be a perfect example of he was sitting there kind of wondering what to do about this, but then Vader asks. Now imagine that Piet is just a clever little fox trying to not make a decision, trying to let Vader make a decision, and listen to this again. It's an older code, sir, but it checks out. I was about to clear them, totally leaving it open to say, like, look, I was going to be proactive, but if you have a different thought, and that actually does work out for him because he acknowledges it's an older code, so whoops, maybe I made a mistake that I'm going to have to immediately apologize for, but he also offers, but I was going to make the proactive decision of clearing them through. What do you think, Vader, and what do you know? Vader wants them to be let through, so Piet's clever dancing around decision-making actually worked. 
Invader stepped in and made the decision for him, and Piet goes unchoked another day. Now, if you don't like that, and you do believe that Piet just made a dumb mistake, in his defense, there are institution-wide security issues in the Empire. There are constantly rebels sneaking into every part of Imperial infrastructure all the time. That is not Piet's fault. Piet can't fix that. If everybody who has an older clearance code might be a rebel, then wow, half the empire are rebels. That could be Piet's perspective. I like to think, because this is a, a bee in my bonnet, uh, that maybe Piet is just annoyed, and he wants to be able to say, you know what, if I could go through and I could make some institutional changes, none of us would be choked as often, because we could just do some simple things to prevent the rebels from constantly sneaking in. I would like to imagine that Piet, like myself, has the idea. If the Empire would just spend some resources to somehow code, bio-code uniforms and ships to the individual Imperial users who are supposed to be using them, the rebellion would be sunk. Instead of building some nice bio-coded uniforms and ships, they build a second Death Star. That's not Piet's problem. That's just bad Imperial management. Not that he is ever going to say that out loud. Now, all of that said, I do lean personally toward the idea that Piet is competent. And my evidence for that is he did survive all the way between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Now, is that because Vader is beginning to soften? after his encounter with his son uh, at Bespin? Or is it that Piet is so talented at making good decisions? Or if he has to make a bad decision, playing some quick mental hollow chess in making Vader and other scary Imperials feel like they are the ones who actually made that decision. So that is my counseling on Piet. Lots of different ways to look at it. It could be that he had an off day and was just making a dumb choice. It could be that, yes, he is dumb. He only survived Vader because Vader was feeling more soft and emotional after his encounter with his son. It could be, my personal favorite, that Piet is just an absolutely clever man who cleverly allows Vader to think he has come up with things for himself, or maybe some mixture of all of the above. Now, I do want to take a moment, as we're wrapping up, to address the last part of Mark's grievance. At least Ozzel was unintentionally incompetent. I love that. That's a fun uh, sentence just to say, but I've often thought about Vader's line, Ozzel he is as clumsy as he is stupid, and I have never, until I saw Mark's grievance, want that to be actually literally true. I want that to be canon, that Ozzel was not just kind of this stuffed shirt who made a bad military decision, but that he's literally dumb and clumsy. I want it to be canon, that Ozzel was bad at trivia and constantly tripped on things. I want him to be literally clumsy. I want Admiral Ozzel to be the British Jerry Lewis 
of the Star Wars galaxy, just constantly getting his fingers stuck in things while making poor military decisions and not being able to spell basic words correctly. Ozzel, what a clumsy idiot. Anyway, I hope that helped, Mark. That is three grievances down. We talked about Owen not recognizing 3PO, Padme being kicked out of her role as a senator for being pregnant with a Jedi's baby, and Piet. Is he dumb? Question mark. Hopefully I have helped solve some of these mysteries in their own little way, or at least open doors to further thinking about these fun Star Wars mysteries. If you find yourself full of mystery and you have a grievance that you would like addressed right here on Star Wars Counseling, please do send those to us at Force Center. Use the hashtag Star Wars Counseling. That's counseling spelled with an S. When you spell it with an S, it's much easier for me to find it. And speaking of finding things, you can find me on all the social media is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can check out my other podcast, Obsessed, and comedy albums and all sorts of stuff, all on josephscrimshaw.com. You can also like Force Center on Facebook and follow us on Twitter is at Force Center Pod and buy our merch at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. The weekend that this episode is coming out, there's a big sale at tpublic, so go check it out. Get yourself a hashtag speculate responsibly t-shirt. You can also support our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash Force Center. A little while back, we unlocked the commentary for The Last Jedi and we put that out for patrons and on our YouTube channel. We are building to a new goal of unlocking commentary for all the Star Wars movies. So if you're up for that, go check it out at patreon.com slash force center. And until next time, as Han Solo once said in a moment of brutal honesty, I don't know how we're going to get out of this one. That's it for Star Wars Counseling. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 